everything was going right for Heather. I got a job directing up Broadway. That's awesome. You always wanted to move to New York. Congratulations. Except love. Roger, do you feel anything anymore? Sorry, babe, I gotta take this. No, you never listen to me. I think it's time for us both to move on. But when an old crush returns home for the holidays... Biscuit! Just in the nick of time! Oh, you gotta be more careful! Biscuit, thank you so much for saving... Bobby Alden? Heather Hartley? Everything changed. So good to see you. You too. Now. That Bobby seems like he's quite a catch. Yes, well, I'm focusing on my career and moving to New York. I just want to spend time with my family. I'm not going on any dates, not for a long time. With a little help from their friends. I think it's time we come up with a plan. I could really use your help. I'll be right there. Can you meet me down at Pier 17? I'll head over there right now. (laughs) They will discover... Strange coincidence? Or is it? (laughs) That following your heart will help you find your dreams. Are you going to New York? You might be moving away from the love of your life. When were you going to tell me this? This is everything I've ever dreamed of. She lives in New York now, and I just got home. Uncle Bobby, home is where your heart is. Mar Vista Entertainment presents Chantel Van Sant, Rob May, and Nikki Deloach. I've come too far for me to lose you again. I think I can survive New York. You said the perfect thing. Love for Christmas. Christmas time is here. I'm coming home for Christmas. Welcome once more to yet another stocking stuffer. Not just a stocking stuffer, but a doggy stuffed stocking stuffer with not one but three dogs and as much as I am a dog person and can handle a lot of dogs I really can't handle two puppies and a full-grown dog and a sailor and a Broadway director by myself so I have brought in the big guns for this show none other than Kevin Marr. Kevin welcome. Thank you so much it's a delight it's an absolute delight to be here I've uh, been a long-time listener of your podcast and then um especially the the stocking stuffers. So this is my first time watching one of these movies. (laughs) And this is such a these movies movie. Uh, Now, (laughs) just for the the people at home, uh, Kevin, people have heard me mention you. I mean, New Yorkers may know you from the Kevin Geeks Out shows of which you direct and star in and host and do all wonderful things. You do a lot of cool things on the internet. You do a lot of cool stuff in general uh what do you are, do you describe yourself as just a cool guy geek or do you say you're a comedian what exactly is your title well it's funny because i never use geek as a noun i always say mm. that i i geek i geek out as a verb okay. but that's one of those things guess what if you're distinguishing between <laughs> geek as a verb and a <laughs> you noun just might probably be. A, yeah it turns into a jeff fox mm-hmm. joke. you just might be a geek or a nerd or a dork or a dweeb um, I'm a comedian and writer, and uh, yeah, I try to do media-based stuff around like video essays, or we do these live shows, the Kevin Geeks Out shows, where we take a different subject and and get guest presenters. You've become um, not just a fan favorite; you've become one of my favorite oh, guests. Huh. That deliver amazing stuff every time. So uh, we have like five or six presenters who come, and and it's kind of like these funny TED talks with movie <laughs> clips. 
and taking ridiculous stuff seriously and getting kind of obsessive. I mean, it's it's a lot of the stuff you do anyway um, on your podcast. And we have a lot of different guests who, who have their own podcasts and do their own podcasts. But there's something exciting about being in the same room all together sharing it at once. Yes, uh, and, and I love – and yours get very specific, right? What was – now you've done obviously Christmas, Sharks – uh, robots, apocalypse. What what has been your most specific of the geeks out shows? Um, well, it's funny because it's super specific, but also really broad. There was a show about wigs, toupees, and hair pieces, yes. and that was a show that what I loved is you can cross any decade, look sure. at absolutely any genre, and you can find wigs and hair pieces and toupees. So, yeah, sometimes it can be really niche. Um, but it's nice when it actually allows you to look at different decades and styles of filmmaking and yep. the, like what was popular at the time. And, and I'm sure one of the things we'll talk about with, with to this movie is it's where art and commerce kind of come together. There's like, there's the movie that was made and then there's the movie that they're selling and how they're <laughs> working that and what different choices they make that reflect the politics of the day mm-hmm. or the market in general and what the appetite is or who the audience yes, is. Yes, and the budget for the movie in this case. And what the budget is. But keep in mind, it's always done as a comedy show. It's always supposed to be funny. I always I go on all these podcasts and then I talk about, like, uh, I do a comedy show about ways of seeing and interpreting media. It's like, that sounds like homework. No, that's, that's where the geek becomes the nerd, right? That's where yeah. geekdom kind of crosses over into intelligent geekdom, if you will. Um, and sure. you know we'll I'll put everything in the show notes and all that. But the best place to find you is going to be love lovekevin.com nice. has a lot of the uh, commercial work I've done and like videos and short films and video essays, as well as information about the Kevin Geeks Out show. Yes. So we'd love to uh, have people come out and and see whatever the next ones are, which I can't disclose at this time. That's how you're just going to keep us in suspense. <laughs> So now I think we've kept the audience in suspense long enough to tell them the movie we're talking about today. Now, this is a movie with multiple titles. I recorded it like three years ago off of, I think, the Up Network by DVR, and that title was Love for Christmas. Pretty generic, but the reason I recorded it was because I saw the synopsis and it said something about puppies. I'm like, okay, well, I like puppies. Let's watch that one. Now, you found multiple alternate titles for it, did you not? Yeah, this is kind of like Toby Hooper's Eaten Alive, Mm. where it was released and re-released under different titles. So it's also known as Home for Christmas, Mm -hmm. A Golden Christmas 3, which has a different tagline. The tagline for that is, this holiday Get your wag on. Oh, that's pretty good. I still, I really like the initial one that is on the main poster when it's Love for Christmas, which is Puppies. Puppies, period. (laughs) What is it? Christmas. Puppies, Puppies, period. Love, period. Christmas, period. So you could read it as Puppies Love Christmas. (laughs) Or you could read it, you could read it as like Best Movie Ever. Ever. What what do you have in your movie? Puppies? Love Christmas. I'm in. Or I mean, that sold ingredients. me. Or it's telling you the subject, the verb, and the noun. You know who, <laughs> love, you know who loves Christmas, Emily? Puppies. Puppies love Christmas. And why should they not? Uh, so, A Golden Christmas 3. Now, we should mention, there is indeed A Golden Christmas 1 and A Golden Christmas 2. I have seen right. most of the first one. I believe A Golden Christmas stars... Um, I want to say it's Alyssa Donovan from Clueless and 
uh, Xander from Buffy during his like. That is correct. Yeah, and I think correct me if I'm wrong. I think this is during either right before he went into rehab or right after, because he's very kind of puffy and sad looking in the movie. And I remember watching most of it and thinking, this is such an unattractive. Like, it's a movie about a couple and their puppy, but it's so unattractive. Like, I don't want to watch these people. Like, they're not, their skin is very bad. And usually these movies are all about pretty people falling in love. Uh, but I guess it was a hit because they made another one. And then this, which became, I guess, sort of the unofficial sequel, because it, now, it, it, there's nothing, you could watch this movie without having seen a Golden Christmas one or two, and you're not going to miss anything, but apparently you mentioned that there are Easter eggs or little things that do reference the other movies. Is that correct? I mean, we, you and I both went into it thinking it was a Meatballs 2 yes. or a House 3. Yeah, or a Halloween where, 3. Where there was, yeah, where there was an existing film and then and then to market it, to, to make it part of a DVD set, they retitled it, mm-hmm. when in actuality... There are multiple connections to oh. to some of the previous films. Uh, the story for what are we going to call it? What's your favorite title that we'll call it throughout the? Well, episode? you know, you you threw out one that isn't an official title, but I really like the the fan title "Retrieving Christmas." So I'm okay, going with that. So with, okay, so with "Retrieving Christmas," there is a story credit to Jay Cifriani. Okay. If I'm pronouncing that correctly. Yes. And Jay wrote the previous two Golden Christmas films. Okay. And then, oh, and it's also funny that Golden Christmas 2 is not titled Golden Christmas 2. <laughs> what is it? I think it's A Tale of Three Christmases. Oh, my or three God. Christmas tales. Or, um, yeah, it's a mess. Okay. So Myra plays the niece. It's the, the actress is Alexandra Peters. Okay, this is is the little girl. Okay. She's the character in the second film. Oh, no She is a carryover. (gasps) Wow. And eagle-eyed viewers have observed that when we get to uh, the production of A Christmas Carol that plays out in the movie. That's a very important plot point. Seated in the front row is Allie Mills wearing her signature red sweater that she wears in the first two Golden Christmas movies. Oh, wow. Even though she has no dialogue or anything else. And then I found out, do you know who, did you know who Allie Mills, uh, who a lot of you guys would know as the mom from the Wonder Years, uh, do you know who Allie Mills is married to? I do not. Orson Bean. <gasps> Wow. Okay. This all makes now the main thing about that making sense is that now I understand why Orson Bean is in this movie. (laughs) Because clearly, like his wife did a bunch. I guess it's the equivalent of like if let's say you're married and one of you does a bunch of like PTA functions, and you're constantly like, "Honey, I have to go do the talent show, and I have to go host the dance. Will you just come to one of these things already?" And so finally, yeah. it's like, "Will you just? I've done a Golden Christmas one, and I've done two. Will you just be in the next movie?" Yes, I think that's how that worked so out. So he, he shows up, and then also that I guess all these movies feature golden retrievers, yes. not just dogs. And I really wasn't aware. This is this is your domain. This is stuff I didn't know much about. That the dog holiday movie is a subgenre that I didn't oh, know yeah. existed. Oh yes. Well, and there there's offshoots, right? Because you have like Snow Buddies and that whole thing, and there are dozens of those movies. Those were spinoffs of the Airbud series. So there's those which Air are Bud aimed at kids. Yeah. 
Yeah, and then there's like basically it was Airbud had puppies, and so and then those just became a galaxy unto themselves of movies. Then right. you including, have including which have, we've we've talked about like online. I feel like we've talked about Russell Madness. Oh, Ru- Russell Madness is the best movie of all time. Which which is part of the Airbuddies universe. I believe even so. though it, you know, but it's up. like it transcends all of it. If you have you seen Russell Madness? Oh yeah. Oh my god, it's so yeah, good. I saw it for. Yeah, so for a Kevin Geeks Out wrestling show, and nice. like, I was among one of the first people in the, you know, in the in the bad movie podcasting kind of universe. I was one of the first people who was all over Russell Madness. Yeah, uh, which we'll save for another discussion, or you've probably already. We actually we did. Christine and I covered it because okay. we went through this phase. I think it was two years ago, and I think it was also like it was after the election. Everything was terrible. Where we just kind of wanted to do movies about dogs, so we did a bunch of talking animal dogs, and Russell Madness was one of them, and we both loved it. Yeah, it's 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 amazing. And one of the things that's so amazing about it is that in the reality, and then we have to switch gears, but in the reality of that film, everyone believes wrestling is real. Yes, which is adorable. That was one of my favorite, like, end of act two plot points. Yes. Now, that brings, you're talking about a lot of the Talking Animals movies that you watched. In some of the reviews that I read, there is disappointment that some people went into a golden Christmas or retrieving Christmas or what have you. And some people said, I thought this was going to be talking mm, dogs. Yeah. it's That's where, again, you get that split because you have the ones aimed at kids, usually the dogs talk. The ones mm. aimed at grown-ups, usually they don't. But again, there's so many levels. Uh, a movie that we, we haven't covered here, I think I blogged about it years ago, and I kind of want to refine it. There's a movie called A Christmas Wedding Tale, T-A-I-L, get it? I get which stars it. Jenny Garth and another, and a you know handsome bland guy, and they end up like meet cute, falling in love, and it's because they both have dogs, and their dogs talk, and they their dogs don't talk to people, but their dogs like do that sort of look who's talking thing where they're talking to the audience, and it's Jay Moore voices one of the animals. Mm-hmm. So you had like that, and then it's sort of with these ones. I think part of it is just it would be really expensive to. Even like, I don't think this movie has the budget for the peanut butter that you would give to a dog to make him lick his lips. So I just think they look at it and they're like, there's no way we can make the dog talk. We're just going to have to just keep showing shots of the puppies. Put a puppy in there. The The screen time is kind of lagging. Nothing's happening. Quick shot of the puppy. And yeah. I'm okay with that. Especially because, so this is directed by um, Michael Pfeiffer, who's done a whole lot of Lifetime movies, including Deadly Daycare, which I actually kind of liked. Uh, A bunch of movies called, like, Nightmare Nanny. The other things he's done is he's directed a couple of what I think are some of the worst dog Christmas movies, which is, it's a series called The Dog Who Saved. And there's the dog who saved Christmas, and then there's the dog who saved the holidays. And you think they're two different things, the same movie, but they're not. There's and then there's the dog that saved Christmas vacation, and they're all different movies, but they're all the same. And then IMDb does not connect it to the dog who saved Easter. It is not recognized as a connection. However, Dean Cain is in the dog who saved Easter, playing the character with the same name. So I yeah, I think he's the villain. It's an unofficial. 
Oh, really? Yeah, in the dog who saved either Christmas or Christmas Vacation. Crazy, I get them confused. Uh, the dog he... who saved National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. <laughs> it's basically like the story of those movies. Is it's kind of like Home Alone with a dog where the dog has to thwart yeah. robbers. And they're just really, like, they're not... Random good people, like Shelley Long is in one of them. Michael Gross is in one wow. of them. But they're just, like, so cheap and not fun. And they're, again, the, the biggest crime, I think... And Christine and I talked about this when we did Girlfriends of Christmas Past, because that is also a Mar Vista movie, and the movie we're going to talk about today is a Mar Vista movie. And there's something about Mar Vista that they're so cheap, where when you're watching the movie, the one thing you can say for Hallmark movies is they look pretty, right? Everybody's wearing oh, yeah. really nice JCPenney's clothing, and, you know, the cute little diner is nicely decorated, and in these movies from Mar Vista, everything is ugly. <laughs> like, there's no makeup person, it seems like, so everybody's skin doesn't look that good, and clothing is bad, and everybody's hair looks weird. And, it and just there, make... were, there were places where I thought there was something wrong with my, like, television. I watched it on video <laughs> on demand, where the screen is shaky. Yeah, well, I and think I was there like, was, like, handheld cameras involved in this movie. But... It was not a steady hand. There no. was some shaky, and it's like there are places where very early on, and I guess we'll we'll do a plot summary where Biscuit the dog is running on the beach, and they do like the Jaws camera. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they do. You get to see the dog's point of view as it's running around, and that's a certain kind of shaky camera. Right? No, this is like on reaction yeah. shots, on exposition, establishing shots. The camera is is got a little jiggle to it, and yes. again, it just makes me think of like within the movie Ed Wood where Tor Johnson <laughs> walks into the door and they're like, that's perfect. Let's In real go. life, he would have trouble <laughs> with that door every day. Yeah. So yes. it's just like the shaky footage was the best one they had. That's I, what I they put in. And I think that. the, um, you know, I'm always torn with this kind of research, which is, do you just look at the text? Do you just examine the film and look at it as a work of art? Or do you, do you get, you know, the, the greater historical context and I think this context makes sense. You mentioned the Mike, the director is Michael Pfeiffer. In 2012, he had nine movies he directed. Yes. Yeah. You got to so respect that. You have to respect it. But it also makes sense that, like, the takes that were used in the movie, you and you've said this on the podcast before, they nailed it in the first take and yeah. moved on. They have a lot of setups that day. Yeah. And they're got, working with dogs. Like, that, with that's, dogs. that adds a certain level of complexity to your movie, right? They always say, don't work with dogs, don't work with kids. It's not just for them overshadowing you. It's because it's going to make, like, you have to make sure, and they're puppies. You have to make sure they don't pee on things because you really do need them to not pee on things. Yeah, you're, you've only got your child actors for a couple of hours a day. Mm-hmm. It's... Now, there's a lot going on. And the As fact somebody that guys... who has to buy a lot of wee-wee pads for my cats, because I have a cat <laughs> who doesn't know how to use a litter box, I can tell you, they're expensive. This movie did not have a budget for wee-wee pads. Um, so with that in mind... Yes, let's... Okay, it, so the story. It's not a good-looking movie. It's the guy made The guy made eight other movies that year, and a lot of his credits are either dog Christmas movies yep. or westerns or uh, horror, yeah. horror films. Yeah, um, it's basically because it was my first time watching a movie like this. I kind of walked away with it as though it was a sci-fi original movie without a monster or yes. a 
Christian entertainment film without God. You, you can almost say that, and this is true of any time it's Mar- this this production company, Marvista, which I think at this point, like, I'm only going to do movies they do, is sort of like the Asylum version of Hallmark. They are Because totally they are like, following uh, the formula, but they don't get the same at- level of actors. They don't even get as good looking of actors for their movies. And, like, so it's just, it kind of looks like a Hallmark movie, but you can very quickly tell if you've ever seen a Hallmark movie. Um... This is this is not the movie. I read. I think it was. Uh, I think it was on the AV Club. Somebody had written like an essay about these kinds of movies, making the point that if you had never seen a movie before, and you watched one of these Hallmark movies, like you'd be completely satisfied. Yeah. And, uh, but I think it's like for a Marvista movie, it's like no, no. But you've never like left your house before, and that's the only way you're gonna really <laughs> like buy this movie. That being said, like I enjoy a, this if one. If you have a a room or a Brigitte <laughs> yes. Bear situation, if you were Brie Larson in Room, and that was your yeah. life for the last five years, this is the best movie you've ever seen. Yeah. So let's go into the story. So our protagonist is Heather, and Heather is a stage director in California. And, like, she's, what, like, 23 years old or something ridiculous. Well, she's been dating the guy for six years. And Bob has been in the Navy for eight years. So presumably, I think he said he finished high school, he bummed around for a year, and then was in the Navy for eight years. So they're probably supposed to be, like, 27, 28 years old. Good, good, good. You listened very closely. Thank you for that. Sure. So Heather is a theater director, and she's... She's professionally happy, but personally unhappy, because even though she has a really adorable puppy, uh, her boyfriend's kind of a dud, and she's about to break up with him. Meanwhile, Bobby has just gotten out of the Navy, and he doesn't know what he's going to do, so he comes home. Turns out Heather and Bobby, years ago, when they were like 14, had crushes on each other. It didn't work out in eighth grade, and it apparently ruined Bobby's like romantic life forever. Uh, but what do you know? They're both single. There's chemistry. They hit it off very quickly and within like a week and a half kind of fall in love. But that's just around the time when Heather gets a job directing. I, I you know, you say it's off Broadway or Broadway. She says off Broadway. Okay. But then when they actually go to New York, it is a Broadway. It is Broadway. It's absolutely on Broadway. Yes. Because the thing is, if you showed an off Broadway theater, it wouldn't look like anything. It would look like no. that's a building. Half the time, it's like a hair salon. It's the the floor yeah. above a hair salon. Yes. Because yeah. this movie doesn't understand anything, least of all theater or New York. But so, I mean, we'll we'll get to it during the discussion. It's always the question of, is it that the filmmakers think the audience wouldn't understand that so they have Possibly. to spoon feed it or is it just like good enough we've got 24 more takes to get today you know we're in new york for 12 minutes quick we need to make every <laughs> shot count so heather has to decide does she stay in california with her new boyfriend or does she go live out her dreams in new york and again we're gonna spoil this movie sorry to disappoint everybody but you can go find it and then come back and listen it's on demand you can find it that way um she actually makes what to me was the shocking decision because usually these movies always turn into the lead deciding they're not going to follow their professional dreams and instead they're going to stay exactly where they are but she decides no i'm going to new york she does and then bobby gets some talking to by his little niece 
who points out, like, you don't really have to stay here. Just go – if this is the only important thing in your life, go to New York to be with her. And he I does. Believe, I believe we hear in the trailer, she says, home is where your heart is. And, I mean, she's kind of right in this case. Uh, mm. So he goes to New York. We have about 30 minutes of a montage of the end of the movie of them being in New York and happy and married and puppies, right? Love Christmas puppies. Yeah. And, now, well, I was going to ask, do you think it is intentionally vague that you can interpret the ending either way, which is, oh. A, she has moved to New York and Bobby moves to New York with her, but then they come back to have their wedding there because that's, you know, where sure. it's by the beach, it's warm. It's, right, that's where their family is. Family's there. Or do you read it that, oh, she got that out of her system of being in New York home. and now she's ready to go back home and settle down. And the, the, the whole notion of home for Christmas and like, who is it who's mm. going home? Like, and the, the song home for Christmas, I think, or, or something about going some home variation playing, of that. Yes. Some, some song with <laughs> some home very cheaply made pop song Yes, is playing when it shows them married. And it's like, wait, does that mean this is home is home where you came from? And then you move to New York or is it, I'm going to go back home now that I'm married. Like you can kind of read it either way. And I think yeah. it's either, it's either sloppily vague or brilliantly vague. See now two parts to that. One is I love nothing more than a good ambiguous ending. I just, <laughs> I think that can be the most powerful thing ever. If you can walk like, out saying one way or the other, Yeah, uh, like 2001 or right? golden Christmas three. <laughs> yes. Up there at the same the shining. To me, you know, I did not, and I don't know if this just kind of maybe because my experience, like I've had friends who've had destination weddings and all that. I just totally read it as they're in New York. They're happy. She is walking around. Like it looks like she belongs in New York kind of. And like there's a montage of them being in New York together where like they're walking around as if like this is their apartment. I totally took it as, but they came, they came back to California for their wedding and then they'll go back to New York. That's how I read it. I did not even think the other way, but maybe that is because I, in my mind, I was so happy that, oh my God, they actually did have her kind of yeah. choose her her career and her art over her two-week boyfriend that I just wouldn't even have entertained the thought that, oh, but then she came, she decided to go back to California and direct like shoebox productions of uh, public domain plays. So right. I, I'm going to go with the first one. I'm going to go with, nope, it was just a destination wedding and that was it. Yeah, I believe that. I buy that. Okay. I can I can see it either way. I don't think there is a right or wrong. Okay. I appreciate that. Cuz I really sure. would be really sad if like there was a deleted scene or something where like you find out like, "Oh, but I'm having I want to raise my baby back home in California." Then I would have been bummed. I think we're going to have to refer to the novelization. Yeah, yes, or um a Golden Christmas 4. Which yeah. how can there not be one? I wonder if there is one actually. Cuz this one was what 2012 which I mean, it's been six years, and they haven't made another one. Golden Christmas four? No, nothing comes up when I when I search for it. It's probably got five other names. That's that's very possible. Because uh, when I checked Love for Christmas, I was not getting this at first, so I had to go by cast members instead to try to like piece it together. All right, so that is the story of Retrieving Christmas. Let's go into the tropes and of the Cozy Cardigan Christmas to see if it fits it. So number Great. one is our lead in need of a lesson. Now, in this case, it's an interesting 
thing because now do, do you think Heather needs to learn a lesson and does the movie teach it to her? I think well first of all it's it's an interesting box in the checklist because I kind of feel like most films have a character sure. or a protagonist in need of a lesson but I think here she seems to know right off the bat like there's there's something she's kind of in denial about mm. which is which is her relationship with um Roger right so Roger who if best you haven't character seen the film, in the movie and I'm, I'm guessing you guys haven't is perpetually on his cell phone about to make a big business deal <laughs> and characters will run into him on the beach and he's like I can't talk I'm on the phone it's like he doesn't have an office to do his right. work. How is but the reception on the beach of California? I didn't know yeah. it was that good that you could make multi-million dollar business deals. Yeah. And it's it's really funny because I feel like there used to be like the, the cliche phrase in New York. Like, I'm on, I'm on phone. I've got the coast on hold. Yes. <laughs> and he is literally... On, on the, the coast, coast of the Pacific Ocean. Yes, not putting them on hold. And it's it's also really funny that uh, if you and I were to write down, like on the newlywed game or something, what is Roger's business? <laughs> the answer would be business. <laughs> business. Like, we, we have no clues. We nope. only know that it's a business that occupies much of his time, yes. requiring lots of obnoxious cell phone uh, conversation time. But I do think she is in need of a lesson, which is that she's got to get out of this relationship yes. with Roger. But she knows that early on. Like, she keeps trying to break up with him, and he's just not hearing it. Which yeah. Some of those scenes I actually found kind of funny, not even in, like, a dumb Christmas movie way. I thought, like, it, there was something that his absolute refusal to acknowledge that they were broken up, it's kind of, it could have been very horrifying on one level, but it was also kind of funny to me. I thought it was funny, and I thought it was something I hadn't seen before. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's refreshing. Yes. Um, I And Heather now – so these movies usually, like, all of these uh, leads also have to have, like, either that really crazy hidden talent or, you know, head for business or whatever it is. And in this case, we're told that she's a really good director, and we get to see her direct, right? Oh, we're constantly being told what a good director yes. she is. Yes, everybody there says, you're no, a great director. There is no evidence of that. She is the last one to come to the theater. She's the first <laughs> one to leave. She says at the end of a, a certain scene that she's directing, she says, cut. <laughs> you're right. In I the legitimate stage, she interrupts her actors with cut. Uh, no, no wonder Orson Bean has no patience for her. Right? My favorite, she brings her puppy, her non-trained puppy, to rehearsal. Uh, and my other favorite, like, because we do get to see her direct, direct, and her great line of directing is basically, um, so make sure, like, you talk louder and project even, and gesture even bigger so the whole audience can hear you. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's her direction. And that somehow gets her a gig on Broadway. And, and it's, she, a, like, it's a small theater that seats probably 65 to 80 people. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Meanwhile, on Broadway, uh, her name is like over the sign of the play and the, the play's tagline is a new play, a new director. That's not how it works. No. That is not how Broadway works or even off Broadway. It doesn't work that like that. Um so, but anyway, so we know that's Heather, uh, played by the actress who was in Final Destination 4, um, which uh, all of these movies, I'm always waiting for them to kind of turn into a Final Destination movie. <laughs> Unfortunately, this one doesn't, but hey, 
we, I'm still convinced we're going to have a part four. So number two is the setting, which is either a big bad city or charming small town or magical winter wonderland. And here we do like, it's not even a town. It's a coast, as you said. Yeah. Like, because we never really see town. We only ever see the beach. And I think the theater is on the beach, right? Because the um, cast party is on the beach. Everybody? Oh, I hadn't thought geographically where the Belmont Theater is in relationship to the rest of the town, but yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, I think that, like, for all we know, they're actually on an island. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, number three is our bland love interest. And again, we kind of get bonus points here because we have two. Because we have the cell phone Bobby, Bo- uh, not Bobby, cell phone Roger, uh, and then we have Bobby. So tell me a little bit about your thoughts on Bobby, our sailor hometown hero. Um. They hint at the fact that he is a war hero, but he's way too humble to use the word hero. Yes, yes. Which that's what you want in a war hero, right? Of course, yes. You yes, don't want you don't want somebody bringing it up every fifteen no, minutes. No, no, no. They have to be respectful. Yeah. Respectful, and uh, he is a. Um, and this is one of the things that comes up in the IMDb reviews. People tear this movie apart. <laughs> it, I think he says he is a naval officer. And the the reviews touch on everything from the way he wears his hat being incorrect to the decorations on his jacket would not be a naval officer, Ooh. but he is a petty officer second class. That he would not be in navigation, he would be in operations. Ooh. You know, like all these things being picked apart. Meanwhile, these same people are like, "Oh, that's a Broadway theater. It's not <laughs> yeah, an totally. off-Broadway theater." Uh, so it's funny what you what you zero in on and what you, you what you pick out. But he is he is yeah he's he's a guy who works with his hands. You know he's uh, he's been burned because he he has a backstory about a woman named Vicky who you know we'll get to later as whether or not she counts as number seven an evil woman. Mm. But um, he's had his heart broken. He's got a good family. He cares about his family. Wants to and his country. His he cares about his country. Really cares about his mm-hmm. country. In a way I was not uh, expecting, but. <laughs> But then as it as it unfolds, it's like, of course, he cares about protecting freedom in America. And there's a whole scene dedicated to this, of course. Um, and what's significant is they go with the kind of romantic plot that they meet. He says to her, Where, where's your, oh, you sounds like you really love New York City. Where's your favorite place in the Big Apple? And she <laughs> says, top of the Empire State Building. Yep, yep. <laughs> yeah, yes. And I I was like. I have to give the movie credit that she didn't say the 9-11 memorial. <laughs> That's a good point. Because that could have been a very romantic spot for they probably, Yeah, but you know what? They, I mean, granted, this was 2012. They couldn't have afforded to film there. Because <laughs> isn't it like 35 bucks to get into that place now? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, at least you, like, you can get Groupons for the Empire State Building. I don't know that you can <laughs> yeah. for the 9-11 memorial. Yeah. So he's a uh, guy with a big heart, cares about his family. He's got an honest background. You know, he doesn't want to get in a relationship right now. Uh, but clearly there is an undeniable chemistry that he's into her. She's into him. Well, because and, they were in love as children or as teenagers. And which, I, I don't know if you know this, but one of the most important realities of these movies is that you will never – your true love is never somebody you meet as a grown-up. It is always somebody you had a relationship with that didn't work out. And I've only watched the trailer, but that is that is key to the first Golden Christmas. Yep, yep. Yeah, because that's about, I think, like a couple who are breaking up, but then they are reunited by a dog. 
And it's true of, like, every one of these movies, the hometown, uh, you know, you have the professional woman who goes back to her hometown, or the successful man who comes back to his hometown, and it's always like, oh, yeah, that was my high school girlfriend, a.k.a. the real love of my life. The true love. Every yeah, single time. And I mean, yeah. I I have to think, based on my understanding of how most um, most relationships that start in high school, I think, have a pretty high divorce rate. Not according but to again, the the audience for this is there. There are women who are watching this that are, they're uh, yeah. married to their middle school boyfriend. I think it's both that and the flip of that of somebody being married and kind of unhappy, and it gives you mm. that sense of like, oh, you know what? I bet if I had just never left home to go to college and broken up with my boyfriend, I bet we'd be happy. I think there's something of that, too, because, like, holidays are all about that nostalgia and all of that, like, thinking of, you know, bumping into somebody from your past. And I think there is two parts of the psychology. And I think one is what you're saying of a lot of the audience are married to their sweetheart, to their high school sweethearts. But I think the other part is it's that wish fulfillment of I'm not as happy as I could be. Uh, yes, I could imagine this, like, you know, random stranger coming into my life, or, you know, I bet I would have been happier if I had never broken up with my prom date or whatever it is. And I think, I think you're absolutely right. The thing that makes it unique to Christmas is that so often the story that's being manufactured is you want your adult Christmases to be as magical as the Christmas you had when you were in sixth grade when yes. you were eight years old, that you're you're trying to recapture some of that magic mm-hmm. in the same way you want that with your adult Christmas as you had with your childhood Christmas. You want your adult love light to be as pure and non-cynical and as beautiful as the person you held hands with yep. in sixth grade. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it is absolutely there. Uh, and I mean, in, in truth, it is a part of the holidays, right? What do we do around the holidays? First thing we do is we go to our boxes of decorations and we decorate our tree, we decorate our house. And as we're doing that, we're putting decorations up because we're remembering, oh, this is my mom. This is what my mom used to hang up. Or this is the ornament that my you know cousin gave to me. This, this is the ornament for my graduation. All these things. It is a period more so than any other holiday of nostalgia. So that just yeah one everything more from the, to it. the the design of Santa Claus on the Coca Cola mm-hmm. can to the fact that we all have our favorite uh, Christmas specials or movies yep. that we go back to and I think there is like a meta textual thing happening that Heather's directing a play of a Christmas Carol she is not doing anything new with it she's not <laughs> radically reinterpreting reinterpreting the text she is presenting a familiar story and the audience goes in there knowing the story. Mm-hmm. And wanting the familiarity of the Christmas Carol. So the guy who's directing a movie about a director telling a story is telling a familiar story that we yep. we know what's gonna happen and there's comfort in that. Mm-hmm. And you've made you've made the comparison that Christmas movies are or these kinds of Christmas movies are like chocolate chip cookies, that you can only you can only vary them so much. Mm-hmm. They need to be they need to be the comfort food, the familiarity. Yes. Yes. So yes, yeah, certain ingredients they have to have. All tied in. All yep. tied in. Uh, along those lines, number four, let's talk about the montage. Were there Was there a montage in this movie? I don't quite remember if there was a montage. Kevin, do you recall a montage? I'm experiencing a flashback montage right now of all the montage. Oh, my God. Film. This We've movie, got... it's almost like Silent Night, Deadly Night 2, where like a good three quarters of it is just montage or flashback to other things that happened in the movie. Yeah. Like, I from... mean, there's, yeah. there's a lot of bumpery stuff that you would see in a TV show, which is like 
they have three or four cutaways to different things to reestablish the setting of this fun California beach town. Right. But then, then there's the more story driven montage of like, now we see them falling in love. Now we see that mm-hmm. they're heartbroken. Now yeah. we see that they're in New York and happy. Yeah. And now you watched this on demand, so you didn't have commercials, right? I did have commercial breaks. Oh, you did. Okay. Because that's something, too, about this movie that's really weird. And, it, it, I mean, this was made for TV where it was made, I think, pa- like with the correct pauses where commercials should be. But the way this movie read to me was the commercials came at such odd points where you would have a montage and it was almost like it didn't cut a montage and come back in a montage but it would cut like right after the montage you'd go to commercial break and it was something really in terms of it wasn't the pacing it was something about the mood of the movie that was so weirdly broken because of that mm. and also there are so many montages in this movie and especially the last 15 minutes of this movie are essentially two montages yeah we get a montage of her in New York, um, where they did send this actress and probably like whoever fit in her carry-on, like the little person cameraman who fit in her carry-on to film her in New York because it's right. all handheld. And they have her walking around New York and they have an Empire State Building shot. And then again, he shows up in New York and uh, the lighting is so different. The coloring is so different. It is clearly not filmed with the same camera. Right. Um, he proposes to her at the Empire State Building because, you know, that's what everybody does in New York. And then we have another montage of them getting married and six months after they're married. And it's like, it was mind boggling. Like at one point I realized this is like, if you've ever, I'm sure you have, you've watched your fair share of Charles Band movies, right? Yeah. And something that they all share, aside from having evil dolls in them, is that they all tend to be like 68 minutes long. <laughs> and so you could see the movie again, will usually like replay scenes and play the credits really, really slowly, which is also what um, the new Leprechaun movie that came out that the WWE put out a couple of years ago. It's oh, terrible. And it's not even a full length movie. The end credits are 10 minutes long. <laughs> And this movie kind of does that, only they use a montage instead. I know. I mean, I have not seen any of them all the way through, but I know, like, the guys, uh, what is it, Seltzer Freeberg, who make, like, Meet the Spartans, not another teen movie. Okay. That all of their movies end with um, a blooper reel and a music video where everyone's <laughs> lip syncing. And it's like <clears throat> the critics who have written about it have said, technically, this movie is. 63 minutes long and then there's like 18 minutes of just like hey is the camera on keep the camera on something interesting might happen just some more stuff but i tell you like a while ago i saw that i rewatched the bride of frankenstein and that movie like just owns it it's a short film it i mean it's not a short film it's not an eight minute movie it's it's i think maybe you know 63 minutes long or something and uh it's awesome that they don't pad it with fat. And oh, I think if it is, it is something I love about some of those movies, especially from the, like the thirties when they weren't beholden to a running time, they did not have to make it uh, 90 minutes because of TV right. airing rights or keep it under a certain amount of times so that you'd get more showings in the theater. So the idea was just tell the movie in the amount of time you need to tell the movie in. And, uh, and that typically is part of a double bill, and there's going right. to be a newsreel, there's going to be a cartoon, there's going to be a bouncing ball sing-along. Yeah, so just keep it moving. Like, I, yep. 
Yeah, and Look, these now, ones you... now we're being nostalgic. I know. Like yeah, but with with good reason. Things. With these ones you can tell it's because they have to ultimately fill a 2-hour block on TV. Right? Yeah. So they're and it was actually very funny because when I've been watching so many of these ones where they're all 90 minutes to a T. And then when I watched the Christmas Chronicles, which was made for Netflix, and it's like an hour forty five minutes, yeah, I'm like, Oh my god, this movie's still on! It's taking me three commutes <laughs> to watch it. Like it is just a different feeling. But with this one, they did. They just they ran out of content, and so they just montaged it. Uh, something else that I think was so, really interesting in the montage is we've talked about on Hallmark. The movies always end with a really chaste kiss. In this one. It ends doesn't like there's a full on like romantic kiss, but because they do it in the slowest of motion, it is so uncomfortable to watch. <laughs> Just like weird lip things happening. But I, yeah. I don't know where else to mention this except that it's sort of like montage is throughout the movie they they just give you these establishing shots of like oh there's the sun going down oh there's people bringing their boats in you know yes. their kayaks in from the water oh there's people having you know a, a beer on the boardwalk um one of the sequences they show is it's sunset and a boat is coming towards the camera and it's just like that you know this establishing shot all of the people on the boat see the camera and wave to the camera. <laughs> oh, I didn't catch that. And it, well, it seems like in post they tried to like darken the <laughs> interior of the boat so that you wouldn't notice it. That but because there's, right at the because there's motion, because there's the hands waving, waving, yeah. waving, waving, they you can you can pick up on it. And again, this is just one of those examples of like it's the best we got. Yep. Put it Just, in. Is it worth it? <laughs> like, well, we, only, we still need 12 minutes of footage. So, yeah, yeah, use everything you have. And I don't think this is one of these cases of like, I can't believe these idiot filmmakers didn't realize. It's like, no, 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 no they, they knew. knew. <laughs> they knew they exactly knew. what they had. Believe me, they knew exactly what was happening here. They just thought it was good enough good enough yes even uh, my husband like caught a little bit of it and like he would just kind of walk by and like eyeball it and then walk by again and eyeball it again as he did and every time he's like is that the same shot of the moon over and over again <laughs> like yes yes it is that's and they've you, used it eight times that's how you know it's nighttime true true very true uh number five is the dead parents or dead wife and i don't think i mean the parents had to be dead right both of their parents had to be dead because they're not there, and it seems like everybody in the world lives in this small town. But I don't think there's ever any mention of the parents. There's never any mention one way or another. So yeah. Disappointing. Disappointing. However, number six, we do have a sassy sidekick, do we not? Oh, we we have a sassy sidekick and then some. She's yes. great. She's great. I really liked her. Um, my favorite part of her, because as soon as, like, she shows up, she's got, you know, messy bun hair, and she's a brunette, she's a little older than her lead, so we know right away from looking at her, like, oh, she is the sassy sidekick. And at one point, when she finds out that Heather is going to move to New York, she is so devastated. And now, granted, like, I understand it, because, like, you know, I've had friends who've moved, and it's very sad when that happens, but I realize, I think it's a deeper existential crisis, because this woman knows that she is the sassy sidekick, if you are a sassy sidekick and your, um, you know, your better, your lead leaves you, what becomes of you? What are you if you can't be a sidekick to someone? Well, what's interesting is my wife has written romance novels and she's told me that this happens a lot, that a lot of times the sidekick in book one becomes the heroine <gasps> oh, in book two, sure. that it's a, a focal shift. 
but it sense. definitely does not seem like in movies that doesn't really apply. That doesn't happen. Maybe yeah. it does in these movies. Not often. Um, I feel like I've seen it. Uh, um, no, you know, <laughs> I'm thinking of actually uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night 4 to 5. There's the lead in Silent Night, Deadly Night 4 becomes the sidekick in part 5 in one okay. scene. But that's not what I was thinking. Um, it doesn't happen often. What does happen is the actor or the actress might end up, like, and this just happened with the movie we covered, um, Christmas in the Smokies, where Jill Wagner played the sidekick, and, like, two years later, she would go on to play the lead in a Hallmark movie. So yeah, I you think you have promoted. that, yes. But rarely, I can't think, and I'd be curious if I'm just, there's one I don't know of. Because uh, Hallmark especially does have franchises and sequels where they have reused characters to other movies i don't know of any case where the sidekick went on to be the lead but i could be wrong and hey that's the beauty of next year there's gonna be another 30 hallmark movies so maybe (laughs) one of them will do that okay so number seven is our evil woman or evil boss character so you did make a point that we do kind of have an evil woman off camera right never seen yes which almost is setting it up where she's like, oh, I'm going to go direct a play in New York with this great new actress who I've never met. It's like, yeah. oh, oh it's my God, Vicky. could it be Vicky? Yeah. Uh, but it's not. But, yeah. No. Uh, we do, I mean, her boyfriend, who eventually becomes her ex-boyfriend, is also like kind of in that part because he is, represents business, which as we know in these movies is evil. Now, I just want to go back to this for a second. Business is definitely, you know, evil that he's he's so caught up in his, in his career. In the summary for this movie, it describes Heather, this is on IMDb, is a charming free spirit. And what I find so interesting is that the movie doesn't, or in the summary of the movie, they don't know how to resolve the idea that she is a theater director, that <laughs> that is hard work, that right. is career-oriented, and that is something that, you know, according to everyone else, she's really good at it, even though we don't necessarily <laughs> see her working hard at it so it's weird to me that the movie doesn't know how to resolve the fact that she has a career but her career is in the arts therefore she's a free spirit yeah that's a really interesting point because typically like and you do have certain careers that appear commonly in these movies and female characters are often interior designers or party planners like those are the most common professions because it's that same thing where like they can be they're artistic and creative but they're also very and often and often is the case where there's like a controlled element to them so therefore they're a little anal about things and like theater director you're right like you have to you come from usually a place of um inspiration and creativity and like yes every theater director i know is a pretty creative artistic person but they're not free. I would. I don't know any that are free spirits because they no, don't they have the ability to be. They got to get their shit done, and they yeah. have to be out there um, shilling their wares in order to get hired for things. Right. Yeah, this movie just doesn't understand how theater works. Is what that I comes think, down. I to. think the other thing that TV and movies love is the uh, advertising executive is the best of both yes, worlds because yes. then it's like they have to be creative and innovative. But at the same time, they have clients and deadlines, yep. and they work in an office, and they have a boss. So advertising is another one of those creative jobs. That's... And often is the case where, like, deep down, and this is, I mean, this is at least true of the Hallmark genre, where, like, yeah, they're really good at advertising, but it's because they're really, at heart, an artist. 
Yes. And they're going to give up advertising because what what could they do better? They could paint a mural on the town diner, and that's what they should be doing with their lives. <laughs> I was going to say illustrated children's book. Oh, that sometimes that happens. It absolutely does. Uh, number eight is slapstick, and I mean we have puppies, so obviously we're going to have like puppies knocking people down, right? I mean, what if, what if I told the viewers? A guy who has spent eight years in the Navy is pretty buff, pretty put together, very strong. He's no match for a runaway dog on a leash. A runaway puppy on a leash, no less. Like, not well, even no, like a Great Dane. Luigi, Luigi is like a fully oh, grown right, dog. Right, right. Yes, it's his dog. You're right. Yeah. But, but should be no match for a grown man. Like, never mind the fact that he's in the military. Um, and it's one of the hardest physical things to watch. There are certain there are certain <laughs> physical acts that it's just really hard to fake. And I think you mentioned you know the challenges of playing opposite an animal. It's very hard to fake that a dog on a leash is overpowering yes, you, and yes. that you've lost control and you are waving your limbs in every <laughs> direction. It's something and else. I guess, the we've talked about like the physical uh, acting that can be very challenging for actors in these movies. One of the things that we always say is like nobody knows how to pretend to hold a cof- an empty coffee cup as if it were full. <laughs> because it just normally like you hold a coffee cup and like there's a certain weight to it and you hold it in a certain direction and in all these movies the coffee cup is always empty and it's so obvious cuz the actors never know how to pretend that it's not empty. And it's a similar thing I think to like okay, hold the dog leash as if the dog is pulling you. Okay, yeah. what do I do? What do I do? And you yeah. can't you can't tug and pull and yell stop because then the dog will stop. Yes. And now, what did you think of the performances of these dogs? Uh, I didn't think they were breakout hits. Our yeah. friend, our friend Wendy Mays has a great podcast called mm-hmm. Pet Cemetery that is all about you know animal actors and movies. And on the one hand, I, I thought, oh, my gosh, I have to tell Wendy there's all these Christmas movies. But the problem is none of the dogs are yeah. really strong. No, it's – it's. I, I mean, they're not strong to insult, like, and soap and Man. Right. But they're like – it really is the difference between, I don't know, watching Days of Our Lives and watching Breaking Bad where yeah. the dogs in this – they're adorable. I mean, they're puppies and Luigi is a beautiful golden retriever. But they don't really act. Like they behave, I would say. And every time you see Luigi, like, there's a scene where characters are talking, and you could see that that dog is staring off camera at probably his trainer, who's standing there saying, like, stay, stay. And the dog is so unimpressed with the scene he's in, and is not in the scene at all. And it, it, like, it's interesting, but I really think, like, there is an A-list, there is A-list pet actors, and there must be B-list pet actors and B-list pet trainers, Absolutely. And that's who they got. They got the budget side. Yeah, yeah. There's another weird thing a couple of times in the movies. There there are just these cutaways to people petting and stroking the dogs <laughs> in unusual, like not the way human beings typically will, you know, go with the uh, the grain or the direction of the hair. You know, it's just this weird thing. And it's like, I guess it serves two purposes that one, get that dog screen time in there, you know, get yes. some full screen Adorable. If we paid for a trainer, puppy. we're gonna use him, damn. Yeah. But then also if you if you need to like match two different takes of dialogue, you can you can cover it. Assuming yeah. assuming that there is two takes. And assuming that they recorded any of the dialogue on set. There is so much ADR in this. A lot movie. of ADR. A lot of ADR. I wonder too with the dog petting, it could be two other things. One is like 
think if you pet a dog, right, every dog has like a certain spot, like, and I'm like, this is something I'm really good at. I'm really good at finding the spot on a dog. Like on some dogs, it's their chin, some it's their ear, some it's their shoulder. But like you find that spot and then the dog is going to usually like do something, right? He might start kicking. He might stretch his neck out. He might like all those different little ticks a dog does. So maybe it was on one hand, don't, don't touch the dog's spot because then the dog is going to do a weird move that's going to look weird on camera. The other part to that could have been like, you know, you pet a dog and usually like, I don't know, you're going to scratch his fur. Like these are not long haired. They're like middle haired dogs, right? They have, they're yeah. not short haired, but they have fur to where if you were to like rub his, his ear or rub his head, his fur is going to get messed up. And again, that is then harder to do a second shot of because now your continuity is all Oh, aghast. yeah. Right? It's the same. That like, had not occurred to me. Like yeah. this, like how, you know characters hairstyles have to be very specific to okay we're gonna we might have to reshoot this or we might need the stunt double so we need your hair to not not be done in a way where it can look different tomorrow if we have to reshoot it (laughs) and i'm guessing maybe that was part of it i don't know wow that's a really good point all right number nine is the sage old person we've got it oh god yes uh, so we have Orson Bean, uh, who, I mean, is a real actor. He's being John Malkovich is probably the thing that you'd probably remember him in first, maybe. Um, all you Kevin, all you Kevin Geeks Out types will know him as the voice of Bilbo Baggins in the Rankin Bass Hobbit. Oh, nice, nice. I could, I could hear that. He has a great voice. And oh, yeah. he, like, he is a real actor, and he plays the actor, like, who is playing Ebenezer Scrooge in this local production. And, like, he's, I, I don't know, I, I haven't really done much community theater, but I have a lot of friends who have, and I've seen enough where I know that person, right? Oh. Like, there is that person that's been doing this play every year for 30 years, and he does it the same way every time. And at first he's really cranky, but it turns out he's kind of great. <laughs> it actually has an exchange where he tells Heather, chase your dreams. Yeah! <laughs> and she replies... You're, You're a, a very, very wise, wise man. man. Yes. Uh, I love it. It is like double bonus points when a sage old person is not only sage, but when it is acknowledged that that person is sage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and he gets a puppy out of it, too. He's, cr- he's cranky. He's won over by the dog. He makes one of the best observations. Her fiance tries to win her back by giving her a new puppy, even though she already has a new puppy. Yeah, and can't, gives can't her control a new puppy. the one puppy. Can't control the one puppy, so he's like, let me give you another puppy. Let me do all these things that I think you want because I'm insensitive. Uh, So he gives her another puppy. Weeks go by, and after the play is open, (laughs) the sage old person says, so what's the the name of this other dog? And she says... I don't know. We actually never gave him a name. (laughs) What? Maybe that's why the dog doesn't have any training whatsoever. He doesn't Uh... even know his fucking name. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um... It, it, it is a problem. Uh, and also, we didn't mention this, but um, something else that Roger does that is very wrong is he does the big grand public proposal. I was going to get to that with public domain holiday. Yeah, thing, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, actually, you know what? Let's get into that. So we don't have a Santa Claus, right, as far as I know? We do have a – not the Santa Claus. We have a guy on a boat who is dressed up as Santa Claus <gasps> right. who is seen very briefly in the beginning – uh, played by an actor named Keith Dobbins, who I think is one of these like plays Santa Claus a lot in okay. movies. He's got a lot of Santa. Yep. He was in a nanny for Christmas, a Christmas. It was in a Christmas wedding tale. <gasps> who is he playing Who's that? Santa Claus? Who do you think? Oh, he's of course Santa, Santa Claus. Claus. What was I thinking? Yeah. Oh, jeez. 
Um, he was in A Star for Christmas, Back in the Game, oh my God. Uh, Merry Kissmas. I have that recorded, but I haven't watched that one. Well, he's he's one of the go-to Santa Claus. Here's what I want. I want a reality show, a reality competition where these like professional Santa Clauses duke it out to play Santa Claus in like a new remake of Miracle on 34th Street or something. Because you have that, like we we just found one in another movie I covered last week, The Truth About Christmas. There's an actor named Paul Dick who has the greatest name ever. I and, saw the photo. Of, yeah. The photo of him taking the selfie with the penguin in the mall. <laughs> I thought how meta is that? And pretty, so I think fantastic. there's got to be this whole, like, the way you have, like, Elvis impersonators, but there's these men that, like, really go hardcore at playing Santa, and okay. a lot of them show up in these movies, and I want them to somehow duke it out, like, Battle Royale so, style. So, Emily, I sent you a flyer to a, a show I directed called I, Santa. And it's uh, it's with Glenn Heroy, who is an actor who has been Santa Claus for over 24 years, yeah. maybe more. I think it's close to 30 years by now. Uh, so he started doing it when he was a teenager, and he did it for several years at Macy's, over a dozen years at Macy's. He does private parties. He's been a Santa for everyone from Heidi Klum to Donald Trump. And uh, before Trump was right. in politics. <laughs> yes. I mean, I mean, arguably, it's all politics, but... But before, yeah, before he, having anything to do with him made in you, the like, show, an in the, in the show, he tells these amazing stories, including the Santa Claus chat rooms <gasps> that he belongs oh, to, and the debates that come up. And in the South, you have people who have these kind of Duck Dynasty big white beards who basically work one month out of the year as Santa where they get really good money. And the rest of the year, they kind of pick up work here and there doing odd jobs. But their whole thing is, I'm Santa Claus. I need this beard. This is part of my job. And then somebody like Glenn is a character actor. So he does, he does different work all year round as a clown, as um, he, he was playing Elton John in an Atlantic City review. Uh, He does all kinds of stuff. So he does not have his own beard. He he wears a a prosthetic. And you know, he must be it must be considered like I don't know like donning blackface or something. The bearded Santas have no respect wow. for the non beard Santas, yeah. and this is a big thing. I don't I don't think you would necessarily call it a community because it's not really a community because that would that would imply a certain amount of unity. Right, um, right. <laughs> it's more like it, I'm like wow, yeah. What would the equivalent be? Uh, well, like. It's a part of I'm part of this population. Yeah, we're all individuals who have the same job, but we don't appear together because that's weird. Um, And then another big another big dividing line is Santas who want to wear a great big golden crucifix (laughs) and say, "My faith is part of why I play Santa, and that's what the season is about." And I need to remind everyone. And it's like that is so confusing. if you were hired for a Christmas party for like a corporation, I don't think they want you to wear. So that's maybe like Hobby like, Lobby or something. There's probably a whole just, industry of Christmas parties you could do as Christian Santa. Yeah, but there there are a lot of intense stories about the competitions among the Santas. Yeah. Um, there are some horrible stereotypes that I think people associate with clowns and uh, mm. perform- performers sure. performers who enjoy the company of children. Yeah. You know, there's horrible, horrible stories that I think that is the exception to the rule, not the rule. 
Uh, but yeah, so they're, they're the reality show that you're describing would be absolutely amazing. Oh, man. Okay, we're going to make it happen somehow. Uh, I mean, that's the thing. There's so many of these Christmas movies and that they definitely do seem to operate on the idea that they're reusing the same writers, actors, directors, sets, yep. that you could go a step further about, you know, pulling back the curtain and expanding the universe to see the making of some of this stuff, unless it's one of those things where you don't want to know how the sausage is made. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't imagine. I feel like there wouldn't even be anything like the making of A Golden Christmas 3. They have no footage because they've used all the footage in the movie. Yeah. Uh, all right. So now let's go into the bonus rounds. So uh, public domain holiday songs. We get two versions of We Wish You a Merry Christmas, yes. one of which you mentioned is used in the gigantic, non-romantic gesture yes. of carolers coming in. Now, what what is the lyrics they're singing? Because it's, it's a little amiss. They're we all holding up signs. We wish you'd marry Roger? Was that it? We wish you would marry Roger? Something like that. Because yeah. that's what it is. Like, the carolers are basically singing, Roger is proposing to you. But it is. It's very hard to understand what they're actually saying. What? In the world. Um. No. No. I. I don't. No. I don't know what that. Please don't. I'm sorry. Is this great or what, huh? Great. Awesome. Something. So we have the proposal, which the main thing about the proposal, look, I've seen public proposals that are cute, that are charming, that are sweet, that are memorable. That's great. What it comes down to is one should never do a public proposal if they don't know for sure that the answer is yes. Right. It's so cruel to the to the person you're proposing to otherwise, I think. And in this case, like, it's so clear that she's not into it. Uh, other public domain songs, what this movie does that a lot of these Marvista movies do is they pull from some free or very cheap pop catalog of pop songs that kind of sound like songs you know, but aren't songs you know. So you have a lot of music, but none of it's good. Right, and uh, Silent Night also shows oh, up. Oh, yes, it does, yes. Um, the other thing about just the proposal scene that I, I thought was one of the laugh-out-loud <laughs> lines is that the, uh, the, the would-be fiancé, the ex-boyfriend, says, what is all this? And they're like, we're rehearsing for a Christmas carol. <laughs> this... He's like, I thought you were doing Brigadoon. Yes! That was one of those lines where I'm like, I wonder if that actor improvised that. Because it just sounded oh. funnier and sharper than anything else in the whole movie. A hundred percent. Yeah. And 100%. this actor, I think, was also – that guy was funny. Like, yeah. he really, of everybody in this movie, is pretty much doing a pretty light thing. But there's a few. And I think him and the actress playing the sidekick uh, and a little bit of her husband – we're all like a little more interesting than most everybody else in the movie. Well, the other thing about the bad boyfriend in the beginning is he is, he is appearing in a parody of the movie where everyone else yes. is in the movie. Yes. He's, he's, he's doing a send up of that character type yep. and having fun with it where everyone else is beholden to, we've got to make it seem like these two are in love. <laughs> Even though they've just spent seven days together. Yeah. 
Uh, something else that this movie does, public domain-wise, that's pretty smart, is A Christmas Carol. Very smart. Yeah, A Christmas Carol is a public domain property, so you can put it on and give us dialogue from it, and you're good to go. So, smart on the movie for that. <laughs> now, product placement... Um, there's not much specific because, again, if anybody was sponsoring this movie, then it would have looked better because it would have meant it had a budget. But I do think this movie deserves a little bit of a payback or maybe should have paid the Empire State Building. We've got the Empire State Building. We've got an establishing shot of New York that shows the TGI Friday on 50th Street. Because when you go to New York, if Sbarro is too busy, then you got to go to TGIFs. (laughs) Um, And then there's a scene where they're buying Christmas trees and everything in the dialogue would lead you to believe that these are real trees. They take them into their homes and they're clearly fake trees. Yes, it's, yes. it's almost, I, I know that's not an actual brand name, but it did <laughs> seem like, because they can bring the tree into their home with no needles falling. It's like, yeah, oh like, man, that's, that's the case for a fake tree. There's, um, Hallmark is always sponsored by, I think it's like, I forget the name of it, balsa wood or something. There's like a really high end brand of fake Christmas trees that sponsors all the Hallmark stuff. So a lot of the Hallmark movies don't make a big deal about a real Christmas tree because they're trying to show off the sponsor. But in this movie, like it's probably where they bought a tree online the way I did on Amazon, where it's trying to find the cheapest one that's going to get shipped. Something else I love about the empire state building scene is in fitting with they were in New York for, you know, two hours on a layover flight. Notice how dreary a day it is that they filmed in New York. Oh, my God. They try to show you the view from the Empire State yes. And it's just all It's all just gray. Like, and gray. And we've all had that when you've, whether it's the Empire State Building or the Sears Tower or, like, all those big, you know, you walk up a mountain and you get there and you're like, oh, man, it's an overcast day. That kind of sucks. I can't see as much. Yeah, that stinks when you've planned it, but when you're filming it and putting it into a movie, you would think yeah. you just reschedule, but no. Uh, the next bonus round is the cloying child character. Um, now, we've got kind of two children in here. There's Myra, who is uh, Bobby's niece, who's encouraging him to follow his heart. But then we also have the little boy, Richie, who is smitten with Myra, and I think Richie is maybe the more cloying of the two. Yeah, well, and then he also loses some points because he kind of rudely dumps her, right? Very rudely. Yeah, Uh, for an older woman, whatever, with a Facebook account, which now that I said that out loud, holy shit, that's a whole different Lifetime movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So there is, like, and they have, they do that thing, like, Look, you and this year I've seen a lot of great kid actors in these movies, and one of the the tricks about that is, you know, casting a child who can hold their own with an adult, and casting an adult who knows how to act alongside a child and bring out the best in them. And one of the worst things this movie does is it has these kids act alone together, and so you're like, oh god, I'm watching two kids who don't really have that much screen experience try to hold a scene, and it's not working for me. But I think it has the added weight that at this point they've established a few times that the two romantic leads 
dated when they were in sixth grade, True. which is probably the same approximate age that these two kids are that yes. we're seeing in the present. So it's kind of uh, the die is being cast that this could be the true love that they are going to revisit in 24 years. I was going to say, so a golden Christmas part 17 arriving on Ion or up in 2027 <laughs> is going yeah. to star these two. I, I you, you are right. right about that. I agree. If uh, they could do, they could do flashbacks to. Oh yeah. And then you, you know, fill up half a movie that way. Yeah. Sure. That's smart. That's Definitely. very smart. Ice skating, not nothing specific, but we do get a token, um, uh, you know, stock footage one of shot our, of Rockefeller Center. One of our establishing shots of New York City, along with a street sign that says 42nd Street with, like, a blackbird landing on it. <laughs> New not York a is pigeon. known for its blackbirds. Not a pigeon, but, like, a nightingale. Yes, a, a raven. My, my wife was joking, like, it should have been a parrot. Just to, <laughs> to make it clear that they shot this in California yes. or Florida. Just a close-up of a sign, and then a tropical bird lands on it. Uh, yeah, so we we just get a glimpse of ice skating when we're establishing the Big Apple. Now, along with that, that means we do not get any Canadianisms, right? Because, I mean, the, the California beach town is filmed in California. In California, yes. And uh, New York is mostly Canadian. filmed in New York for, for 17 minutes. Right. Yeah. Uh, okay, then a character with a Christmas name. Uh, I don't Got one. Oh, we did? Who? Okay, this is a stretch. The grumpy character portrayed by Mr. Orson Bean is... <gasps> oh, my God. Mr. I... Mr. Cole. Mr. Cole. As now, in Cole in your stocking. It's a homonym, but I'm going to count it. Yeah, because in the movie, it's not like we see his name, and we don't know how it's spelled while we're watching the movie. No, no. So, a nasty old man? That's coal in your stock. I like it. That is good. That is very good. And he doesn't have a first name. Uh, it's just Mr. Cole. It's Mr. Cole. <laughs> As most community theater actors, you know, they, they don't – it's like in a lot of Asian culture where, you know, you don't refer to your boss as like – you know, by you know uh, Park Wu. Instead, it's like Mr. Park. It's kind yeah. of in this case where it's Mr. Cole. He yes. demands respect. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, and then the la oh, well, there's two more, but I don't think we had either of them. A uh, Christmas tree lighting. We had Christmas trees being purchased and yes. tr Christmas trees being decorated, and Christmas tree being undecorated on moving day. Yes, on moving day. Says, Here you have to do, the... pack up your whole apartment and your puppy and board a plane. Don't forget to take the lights off the Christmas tree that you've left up all this time. The day of. The day that day you're of. leaving. Yeah. No. Oh, and that was one of the other hilarious things is that they're in California and she gets a yellow cab. <laughs> and I love the idea that she'd say, take me to the Empire State Building. Yes. <laughs> she's going to take a cab across the United States. On, on um, an off-Broadway theater director's salary. <laughs> which the other thing I love about the off-Broadway theater job is when she – Finally, because it, it has to be that thing, you know, to create the dramatic tension, she does not tell the new boyfriend that she's leaving for New York in, you know, two weeks or in a right. week. Uh, and he finds out and he's betrayed and he's shocked and he, he, he tried the long distance thing. It doesn't work. It's, and she says, I'm going to New York for a long time. Because... <laughs> Off-Broadway theater jobs, that's like a nine-year commitment. Yes, that is definitely. Not, because I don't know if you know not, this, but like, as if the show is a hit, then you have to be there every night to direct it, right? Yeah. That's how it works. 
not it's not the kind of thing where you put a show up and move on. No, you, no, I know. You are in it. Yes. You have to you have to take a bow every night. Every night. You are on stage for a curtain call. You have no to question. receive those flowers. Oh. Oh, glorious. Uh and then karaoke, I don't think there was any karaoke to my memory. I don't think there are. Yeah, I mean, we had we we had to save some time for shots of puppies. There's Christmas carolers singing "We Wish You Would Marry Roger." Roger. That's, That's as it. Close yes, as you yes. Uh, okay, and then so moving on, I believe I entrusted you with finding uh, the best Amazon or IMDb review. Yeah, this is from Amazon. It's a little bit long, so I'm going to read it quickly. I love that so many of the reviews are sentence fragments that yes. say, pretty good, love it, <laughs> oh, cute dogs. Heartwarming. This person, this person like sit down, sat down and made an effort and then at the end makes a joke and apologizes for the joke. So I want you to stick Ooh, with okay. me through the apology, which I think is for the joke, not for the review itself. Can I ask how many stars this person gave it? 4.0 out of 5. Wow, okay, the, okay. The review is referring to the, the DVD format, mm. and the title is, Okay, Here We Go Again. <laughs> Love them or hate them. It's time for a golden Christmas, i.e. cute dogs, a little bit of corny, a little bit of good, and a fair amount of smoochy-woochy romantic <laughs> comedy. This this time, big-time director wannabe career-minded Heather meets just-out-of-the-Navy-glad-to-be-home studly Bobby. Every person should be described by eight adjectives. I love it. Who had a childhood crush on her. The attraction is very mutual, but obstacles, including a worthless fiancé, stand in the way of true love. But she's busy directing a Christmas Carol with good old curmudgeon Orson Bean starring as Scrooge. The story's, of course, quite predictable. A touch silly and over the top. However, the leads are very handsome together with lots of beach shots. (laughs) And they include some catchy tunes. The dogs are mostly for backdrop and to sell the theme. Perhaps to keep the kids in the room until the kissing starts. <laughs> PG. The ending is very sweet. No giveaway there. <laughs> now, I don't know if that means, when he says no giveaway, does that mean the ending sweet, which is not surprising. That's I'm not giving anything away by telling you it's sweet. Or if he's like, the ending is sweet, but that's as much as I'm going to give well, away. Well, did he mark this as having containing spoilers? He did not. See, maybe that's that's his way of as getting out cur- of that. As a courtesy. And I think just before the PG refers to the kissing, that the, key, the kissing is PG. Okay. All right. Oh, my gosh. Hold on a second. He contradicts his review here. Oh. He says it's given 4.0 stars. And then he says, overall, I'd give three and a half stars for nice looking actors and cute dogs, although they don't use them enough. Hmm. Fair. If you if you like the first two, you like this one. Otherwise, run puppy run for something with more meat on the bone. <laughs> Sorry for that. <laughs> I love it. I, I love it that he assumes you're groaning. <laughs> and then he adds 
no special features, because this is about the DVD, no special features, Guyam puts it out and also supports the Pet Finder Foundation. Oh. So I guess if you get the DVD through Guyam, you do not get any special features, but your but money, you, your money is, goes uh, to the Pet Finder. Is, That's nice. Finder, which I think is very sweet. Maybe that's why he upped it to four stars instead of three and a half. <laughs> we'll never know. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally went down a rabbit hole and started reading this guy's other reviews. Where he, <laughs> reviews, he reviews ginger, like uh, uh, the spice. The, the spice. There's a, a okay. container of ginger that he really liked. Uh, some olive oil and a really great looking Hawaiian shirt, which he gives five stars. Uh, some of the reviews talk about his kids, his 12-year-old daughter. I was going to say, youngest. this guy is like the epitome of a dad joke, right? Oh, he's, yeah. Uh, I think he's in Colorado. I really spent way too much time <laughs> piecing, piecing together details about this reviewer. Oh, but I, I do feel like that was the best one. I and want then this to be I'm... like a catfish episode. <laughs> And then IMDb has one that I really have no idea how to interpret. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna give you the broad strokes. Go for it. There is a detailed review of a Gold Christmas three, which says that Myrna, the uh, little girl, the girl, should have been in the movie more. He wishes there had been more Myrna. He really would like to meet Myrna. Oh, God. He thinks it's to be a Christmas four. I'm saying he. I've. I'm just assuming it's a he. Uh, wants to see more of Myrna. She needs to be in part four. Here's what should happens in part four. Then he says, I would love to be in part four if you're going to make it. And then he has a YouTube link which redirects you to a slideshow of Myrna. Oh, God. Oh, yuck. Should I we very, call somebody about that? I very reluctantly clicked on the link and it took you to an account which has been disabled because of copyright <laughs> violations. Oh, yes, only copyright violations? <laughs> this, um, but it's written in a very choppy kind of broken English that I was like, the second time I read it, I'm like, oh, maybe it's about a kid. Maybe, maybe a kid right, wrote Maybe this. a child like, just uh, has a crush on this, know. you know, yeah. Oh. Yeah, no way of knowing. That's worrisome, Yeah. Guy from Colorado seems like a real good dad. <laughs> Who loves that Hawaiian shirt? Ah, <laughs> oh, man. Um, who who knew one could have so much fun not just reading Amazon reviews, but following the lives of the people who write them? Yeah. Have you ever done this? Have you ever looked up your local CVS or like any kind of a chain and you go to your specific neighborhood ones? Because people, I don't know if this is more of a New York thing. People will write crazy anecdotes and they tell you great stories. And then if you like, if it's a place you go to, like you'll recognize some of the characters in it. I highly recommend if you guys go to Yelp or uh, any any kind of like you know Google reviews. It's it's fascinating because it's like who who needs like you know I'm thinking about going to Rite Aid, but before I do. <laughs> You know, Let's see what Yelp has to say. Well, I mean, now that you're saying that, I feel irresponsible because I I have a Rite Aid in my neighborhood and I use them for like medication stuff, but I have had some of the worst experiences of my life at that Rite Aid, and it all has to do with having picture having photographs printed, which they still do. But like, I went once to pick up my pictures and they just weren't there. And but they were there. They were just like sitting out on the table the entire time for people to look at them. And they weren't like dirty pictures or anything. But what if they were, you know, and then another time I went and they couldn't find them. And so they start like they're like the guy had like pizza fingers as he was going through it. And I'm watching him go through other people's photographs of pizza fingers. And then he basically says to me, oh, do you want to help look? 
And I'm like, I, you're asking me to look through other people's photographs to find mine. And ultimately I did, because otherwise it was the only way I could find them. But it was so weird and scary to realize it never get dirty pictures printed at Rite Aid because the employees will just give them out to people, apparently. My friend from high school worked at a Walgreens, and she said the company rule is if um, if someone has something being what appears to be forced in a cavity of any kind, they have to contact the police. So oh. if you are taking any kind of non-Polaroid, non-digital, I imagine most people would do it digital nowadays, but mm, if you are... Sure. If you are, and again, maybe for some people, the kink is sending it out and having it developed and knowing that other people are going to look at it. Uh, you will, like with your return information and stuff, they will contact the police and report you if there appears to be any kind of non-consensual uh, object or body penetration. Well, good to know. So everybody, <laughs> that is your lesson of the day, folks. You never know what you're in for with a... With a stocking stuff. That's right. Sometimes you talk about puppies and learn the spot on a dog. Other times you learn how to not get arrested at Rite Aid. So um, can I just point out one thing I just saw I wrote down on my notes that didn't come up elsewhere. Of course. There is a line of dialogue, which because we, we've established that Bobby is like a war hero and that he travels across the country to be with Heather. And this line, I think, speaks volumes about the way New York is understood in other parts of the world. He says he comes to be with her and he says, if I could survive Saudi Arabia, <laughs> I could survive New York. One in the same. One in the same. And it just kind of it, it echoes back to like the early Dirty Harry movies where you have these... Uh, these Death Wish these, 3 type uh, gangs the, roaming. The, the, the city as the jungle motif. Yes, yes. Even that, though her favorite place to go is the Empire State Building. Right. And she seems to live in Midtown. <laughs> she, well, what's funny is I went up to, uh, I, I went up, my wife was working at a summer camp and I was, I was meeting people there in New Hampshire and we lived in New York at the time and they were like, oh, you live in New York City? And like you could see the little thought bubble in their head is like, you live on 48th Street and 7th Avenue? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> like, do you? I live right above the Hard Rock Cafe. Do you have lunch at the M and M store every day? <laughs> yeah. There's right. a uh, yeah. There's a loft bed that pulls. You know that wall right. of M and M's. It's got a Murphy bed that pulls down, and that's where I sleep. I at actually night. live in the. I use the M M&M and M pillows as my pillow. <laughs> Boy. Oh. Yeah. I'm, this I'm, is I'm roommates with one. the naked cowboy. <laughs> yes. He, it's great because he never uses the washer and dryer because he has no clothes. <laughs> I, yeah. Uh, uh, this this was a special one, and I am really glad that this is how you got your real introduction to this genre. Pretty amazing. Yeah. So are you going to go seek out more of these? Are you going to, like, backtrack to Golden Christmas 1 and 2? Um, I think I'm, I'm a little more curious about the dog who saved Christmas. You say that now. You are going to be I so disappointed. Okay, okay, maybe I won't. But yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna poke around and see what else uh, this landscape has to offer because there's uh, a lot of weird stuff. Now, yeah. do you do you ever watch? Do you ever do Christmas in July, or do you only watch in like November, December? Um, I deb- I almost did it this year, but then my summer ended up getting very busy, so I didn't have time. Uh, but what I do, I typically record. I do a lot of planning for these, and because just because I've gotten better at really figuring out the mix I want, 
And sure. so I record, I have probably like 12 movies recorded on my DVR that I am not going to get to this year. And they have built up over the last couple of years. So at any time, I could jump back in. So I am thinking, depending on how the year shakes out, I might do like a short mini series come summertime. But we'll see how, how it goes. Because you don't, you know, and you also don't want to uh, OD on them because that can be dangerous. Well, now that you are somebody who's seen so many of, and I love that you call them these movies, <laughs> are you more likely to write a Christmas romance Hallmark movie or are you going to be the person who writes the the long-awaited parody? To me, I think it at this point, you know, I should do both, I guess, is really the right answer to that. I should write one just to show that I can, because I think the hubris in me at this point is like, I know every time I watch one of these, I know every line that's coming after. I can, yeah. you know, it's as if I have written these movies because they are so, as soon as you meet one character, you know exactly where that character is going. Now, having said that, there have been exceptions uh, here and there where you do have one that has a surprising twist, but most of them, especially the Hallmark, follow such a simple template that it seems so easy to just write. But yeah, there is a... I don't think we have had... As I say this, I'm wondering, I, you know, I've never really watched a parody of these. I've seen, like, short SNL things and stuff like that, but maybe why hasn't the guy that, that did... Um, Super fast, the amazing Fast and the Furious uh, parody. Why hasn't that guy made a, a Hallmark movie version of it? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, is it is it that it could only sustain a two minute Saturday Night Live parody? Um, I I saw that Mar Vista actually produced the Will Ferrell, Kristen Wiig sort of parody oh, of Lifetime movie. Okay, I know the one you mean, but I didn't see it. I didn't see it either, and I don't know who the audience is. And that's the other thing: is the audience for this? Are they so niche that they're not going to have a sense of humor about it? Is the Very mainstream possible. audience is the mainstream audience not going to be able to understand the parody because they don't know the source material? And there are times with some of these movies where I watch them and I almost wonder: Is the director because they're so blatantly all of this stuff? You almost wonder: Is that intentional? Is somebody back there like laughing and rolling their eyes of "Okay, sassy sidekick, get in there and shake your earrings at the lead." Right. Um, is I don't somebody know. has somebody made the Starship Troopers of Hallmark Christmas? That is a wonderful that, question. Yeah. That the majority of the audience takes it at face value and then a small percentage of like this is a genius parody exactly. satire. That that is possible. There was one I always go back to it. It was a it was a Mariah Carey one from a few years ago called A Christmas Melody. And it is so blatantly all of the tropes and so kind of weird about it that I almost wonder if that was the Starship Troopers version or if it was just, nope, that's just how it ended up coming out. I don't know. Right. Uh, I know question. I know you watch Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. I feel like I Rachel, Bloom, Rachel Bloom could make an amazing oh my God. parody parody that fulfills everything you want out of it while still being a smart parody of it. Um, I am currently figuring out how to kill myself so I can go to heaven and watch that because that would be my <laughs> idea of heaven. If you kill yourself, you won't go to heaven. Well, to, well, with that attitude and mindset of cultural beliefs, then I guess. Yeah, good point. 
I just want to keep you alive. I do appreciate that. I'll say, I'll say whatever I have to say. Because <laughs> we need, yeah, because we're not done with stocking stuffers yet. We have a few more this year, and of course, we'll be back next year. And who knows? Maybe in the summertime. Uh, but until then, Kevin, where can people find? Remind everybody where they can find you. So the website is lovekevin.com because it's supposed to be like a love letter for me saying, love Kevin, but it's also a command telling people, ordering people to love love puppies Christmas Kevin. (laughs) Yes. So lovekevin.com has uh, some of my videos and short films and video essays and information about uh, Kevin Geeks Out and uh, as well as some of my other podcast appearances. So I'll I'll put a hyperlink to this one. Great. Wonderful. Um, And I guess the only other advice I'd leave you with is um, if you're going to get a puppy, like give it a name and learn how to walk it and do all those things, right? Yeah. Yeah. And get ready that that dog is going to magically put you in the arms of the person you've been waiting for. Well, that goes without saying, right? Especially if you're on a beach. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, That was a Golden Christmas Tree, a Golden Christmas 3 a.k.a. uh, Love for Christmas, Home for Christmas, or the fan edit version that we've dubbed Retrieving Christmas. Happy holidays, everybody. Happy holidays. (laughs) 